Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. I am your host, John Jewett. And I am your co-host, Luke Miller. Our mission is to elevate the physique coaching standard. And deliver the highest level of competitors to the stage. Let's jump into today's episode. Cardio versus calories. You're starting your deficit. What do you do first? Do you drop your food drastically? Do you up your cardio drastically? This is the episode today of what we're going to dive into, how to start your fat loss phase. Luke, what's going on, man? Not much. Just uh, a crazy, hectic week. We are two and a half weeks out of show day for Emily for having little Ellie. So show day as in the day that she is going to be born. Um, So I've got a hyper-pregnant wife that can never get comfortable no matter what position she's in. So the roles of... Picking up everything have started already. <laughs> it's like baby peak, baby peak week. It's like baby peak week. <laughs> oh goodness, what's what's that? What's that difference? Like, what are you doing prep wise for that? Like, I have no clue. Like, there has to be. Is there like more like of the baby room to get together or? Well, we kind of finished the baby room yesterday, so that's like all done and ready to rock, fully functional. There's like some pretty decoration stuff she wants up, right? But that's like non-essential stuff. Um, I've still yet to pack my bag, so I got to do that um, for whenever she goes into labor. And then a lot of it's just like picking up things around the house more, like doing more of the chores and fitting that into my day and that kind of stuff just because she can barely walk, let alone do chores around the house. So, Are her feet like super swollen? Actually, She's not experienced that a lot. Like she had one day where her ring, she couldn't get off her finger, but she's not experiencing like the the massive swelling that usually, and I think it's like, I don't really know why other than she's a smaller person and her body composition as far as like fat gain across the pregnancy hasn't been as extreme Um, because she's still training and eating fairly well and all that kind of stuff. Like she hasn't really had crazy cravings. Um, everything something once in a while but it's more been food aversions for her so like she just can't be around like chicken or she can't be around like certain things right so um she's actually just kind of just chilling uh she she she's 37 weeks today and people have been like are you 20 weeks or 22 weeks or whatever like she doesn't look how pregnant she actually is well even when i saw her her like if you just saw her like neck up, you're like, oh yeah, you're just yeah, just Emily. Like, <laughs> what? I mean, what a what a compliment, right? Like you're just that pregnant person. You just have a belly and a pregnant belly, and that's it. That's yeah. Nice. What did you have to like? Ru- didn't you have to like run out of the house with a pan one time because of what you're cooking or something? Yeah, yeah. It was. I was. <laughs> I like to like steam my veggies in a pan with like whatever protein I'm cooking to kind of like mix them all together, and like some of the steam started going up and. The worst part was I had the fan on and she was sitting outside on the porch and she could still smell it. And so I had to run out the front door and she was like still throwing up. And it's like, I just can't win here. It's so extreme. That's like uh, Nick and Megan. Megan's pregnant now. She's 12 weeks pregnant. And for a while there, Nick didn't believe me. He was like, she is exaggerating this. Like this can't Mm. be this serious. And he's like, Megan is so sensitive to foods now. He opened a hot sauce downstairs and started pouring it on his food. And she was like, you've got to stop using the hot sauce. And she like started getting nauseous from it. Wow. That's <laughs> hypersensitive. Yeah. So it's just like, it's so extreme. And until you go through it, it's like, it's so hard to describe. But I mean, it's actually hasn't been that bad. I mean, life hasn't really overly changed too much for us during the pregnancy. I just know that post-pregnancy is where that's going to be. So, um it's uh, I'm kind of preparing myself for the store, I'm like training less throughout the week and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's just been uh, like preparing for war yet preparing for the little kid type of a thing. But 
What about you? You're about to start prep, right? Tomorrow, pretty much. I, I know when when uh, y'all listen to this, I'll probably have already been a few weeks into prep. But yeah, I'll uh, I'll kick it off tomorrow. I'll be 24 weeks out, which I know for most that sounds like a, a long prep. But um, when you count in like active fat loss weeks and then weeks of actually not dieting, mm. it uh, probably come out to maybe like 21 weeks of actual fat loss, you know, two weeks kind of ready ahead. Then one week factored in for, you know, you'll have days where you'll feed above maintenance, have refeed days and stuff. So those aren't true days of, of fat loss. So I, I don't think people count those weeks in when they're normally doing their timeline. <laughs> and, and, and then you're just not in shape, right? And that, that happens. And I know um, I need a, definitely a slower rate at the end mm. to really see like, that level of condition I, I want to bring. I can push it out the gates hard, but once I get down lean enough, it has to go uh, pretty slow to keep the balance of managing fatigue and then and still make let like enough fat loss occur. So, mm. um, well, that might, but yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say that might no. s- set us up pretty well. Like what's <laughs> it does. What's yeah. your activity look like now? And then like, why and or what are the changes going to be starting tomorrow? Like, are we making the decisions on higher activity, lower calories, combo of the both, and then kind of start to phase into that conversation that we have for today? Yeah, it actually didn't even plan that bridge into it. it just kinda, <laughs> what it, a it segue. Works, yeah, way to go. It, just, it works out well. And uh, just, just like to set up like my pre-prep phase, so – you should have some phase that's kind of letting prep kick off like right right out the gate. And that's kind of what this has been for me. Um, I mean, since I'm enhanced bodybuilder, like obviously PEDs are down at a, at a baseline um, for that, that matches along with the rest of the needs of my plan. So I'm trying to have a maintenance, like lower training volume to drop off fatigue. I want to be very fresh going into prep. So being that this is more maintenance phase, you also don't need a lot of PEDs present. And also I want like the best health markers possible before entering into a long duration prep. Um, other things, just getting set up with like routine. Um, that's huge for a lot of people. You want to much, a lot of that in the off season, but it is a little different in prep. So my day has been now like meticulously planned out. So I have like, <laughs> like my bedtime alarm, my, you know, wake up alarm, my meals are, are like, I have alarms for these. Like I put it all into like my, I just talking to Luke about my Google calendar. Um, so the day is like every day is the same. And that's what's been lined up for going into this, this prep. And my, my baseline for input output is uh, 4,300 calories on my training days. And um, right, right, uh, right at 3,500 calories on off days. Step count's been 8,000 per day. And then cardio-wise, doing five days per week of 20 minutes and keeping the heart rate around 115 beats per minute. So, okay. um, so yeah, yeah, relatively, like, yeah, lo- lower to moderate effort cardio. But all that's, all that's been in place and standardized. And so I can kick it right off into prep and things will just fire right away. And I've been really happy with this like holding phase because I've touched 260 before, but really I, I look back at my log and I think I only weighed that for like two days <laughs> and, and then it, it like dropped, it just dropped down from there. So, yeah. Um, and that was like within the, the push phase, like gears high and everything. Yeah, so yeah. now I've been, I've been holding kind of this range of like 258 to 260 over, over the past six weeks. Um, in the holding phase. Now I, I, I was hitting that in, into the push phase as well. So I've held this body weight for a while. So it's, it feels much more stabilized. It's not just very fluid based. Um, feels like it's actually quality tissue. So that's, uh, that's where I'm at and what I've done in these past weeks to kind of set, set that all up to kick off prep. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's good to note that you're separating your activity into steps and cardiovascular activity, right? Because a lot of times we get people who e- either one of two, they're like, you only need steps to prep or 
you get into some people that are like not even tracking steps and just using cardiovascular activity as their activity metric. And it's should be a combination of the both, right? Because most people at some point are going to need steps to track their daily activity metrics to make sure as they go through into the prep that they're not letting that slide, but also the, the higher impact cardiovascular activity, higher impact relative to steps. So it's still low intensity, steady state. Um, in order to get that heart rate elevation and using that to be one, a little bit more time efficient with the activity, but two, to get that effect of fat loss on the back end as well. So like starting that prep, I, I know what the answer is, but I think we could talk about some cases. Um, calories first, cardiovascular activity, steps, like what's the initial changes looking like and why? And is this something you do with all your clients or do you, do you kind of have that a little bit more variable? Yeah, so, you know, th- th- this is the, the question of the day. Like, what do you pull first? And it's, yeah. it's not just black and white. You always do that, but a, a lot of the time it, it leans into food first. Yep, um, absolutely. For, for, for a few reasons. Uh, for, for one, um, we have to see, like, where do you have the ability to create the biggest deficit? And why it needs to be a bigger deficit is that, off my clients, I want to push them hard out the gate for fat loss as you have a lot of fat stores present. Mm. So you have the ability to drive a larger deficit and maintain tissue more because there's just more raw material of, of body fat to utilize. And you're also uh, not driving a lot of fatigue too. So, you know, at the end of prep, like performance starts dropping, you probably have a greater propensity to drop off muscle. So right in the beginning prep, like you can really drive fat loss. And I, I try to aim for that, like one and a half percent body weight loss, loss. Per, per, per week. Like, Same. um, and so how do, so that's, it comes down to math really like how uh, for that weight about a body weight to come off, like how much calorie deficit should you create? And I know everyone says like the 3,500 calories per pound of, of body fat per week and, do 500 calories per day and that gives you some starting point but then from there once you set it up you just have to see the response because you can have that same deficit in someone and this is output in intake wise and they someone can be very adaptive to where you don't see as much loss or i have some people where you make a little change it's like way over overshot on the amount of, of weight you can lose on that side so um but that's at least the initial thoughts around you know, the, the rate of, of loss at the gate of prep and the ability to produce that through a, a diet, this should be coming from a phase where your your food's really high, right? Yep. Um, like at 4,300 4, calories on, on training days, like it's pretty easy to create a thousand calorie deficit if I, if I wanted to pull off that much versus, you know, what would I have to do to do a thousand calories of output um, in cardio? the fatigue driven through that would be sky high. Um, so I think right now I, I'll for 20 minutes, of my cardio, I think it's right around 200 calories or so. Yeah. Um, so, so think about doing, yeah. Uh, five times that a uh, hundred minutes of cardio right off the gate of prep. Like, Holy shit. Like you would be, your legs would be fried. Like training would, would be terrible. So, um, and that's at least part of like the, the, uh, aspect around like, what's the easier to produce there's there's like the fatigue part as well but yeah um what do you what are your thoughts around that i think i think my my concepts are, are going to be very similar and that i always lean towards food first right but i think there are a couple cases where cardiovascular implementation on the forefront can be very beneficial um it's typically from Getting someone in an onboarding process like right before they start prep and they haven't been doing any cardiovascular activity, it's like the implementation of that can not only help drive the deficit, but it can also transfer into their training capacity because they're probably missing out on like some of the higher rep sets and being able to keep that going from like an oxygen perspective and like having that cardiovascular ability to be able to output as high as they could on those on those movements. Um, and then with people that I've prepped before that I know are a little bit more adaptive, I will take an activity bump on the forefront with the calorie drop, but I definitely lean towards a step count increase over a cardiovascular activity increase just because 
the detriment to training with a step count increase relative to the detriment to training with like a pretty large, like steady state cardio increase is rather different. Like someone jumping from eight to 10,000 steps a day is a fairly easy transition. As long as the time in their schedule is there, um, it's probably not going to impact their training. They can pull a John Jewett and just take laps around the gym in between their sets. And they could probably almost make up those 2000 steps, right? Like it's so easy to just increase activity in the things that you're doing where instead of sitting there on your phone, like looking at Instagram and then typing or whatever, you just take a lap around the gym while you catch your breath. It's super easy way to get steps. And that's almost like a uh, non-time increasing way to implement that initial step count increase. So those are typically the cases where I do find the cardio or the activity, if you want to call it activity metric, um, increase is very beneficial. There are kind of in those two cases where like someone is fairly adaptive and we can kind of still catch that one to 1.5% rate of loss off the gate. Um, and, and really kind of get them kickstarted for not being behind on the later end of prep. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to point out within this is like to be accurate in create, like whichever you're choosing to pull from is that you're also accurate in how you've been tracking it to begin with. Um, so this comes down to even, you know, you're, you're cat, like you're given a diet and you have your, your calories set up, like um, how you're, how you're weighing your food. Like, are you including all the food items within that, that are calorie con, you know, contributing to calories Um where you find some people artificially stall is that it's not true fat loss stall. It's usually they're not accurately tracking all mm. these variables accordingly. So you might have like a condiment that you're using that's slowly increasing on prep. And you're like, well, I'm increasing cardio and I don't know why I'm not losing now. And you have some very small, like, like say a female bikini athlete that's, you know, 120 pounds on, you know, it, calories get low, 1,300 calories easily um, there. Adding in 100 calories from just condiment contributions, that's a nearly 10% increase in calories for her. That that can make a drastic difference in mm. over time, the fat loss. So, so accurately tracking your calories. Um, and I even see how people are tracking as far as like um, counting macros. Like that should you only be counting macros – from like the direct sources, right? So you only count protein and protein foods. Like you disregard the fats that would be coming through chicken or the protein that would be coming from like a peanut butter or something, right? Right. And by doing that, you could have this large variance, 20% of calorie difference by tracking that way. So if you're starting to switch out food sources, maybe some that have larger amounts of proteins and fats for a carb source. Let's example, like, uh, like rice, say you're going from rice to oats, like oats have a lot more protein and fats in them than rice. So now you're having a, maybe it looks like a, a switch, but you're also adding an addition. So being precise in your tracking for food also will make you a lot more accurate in, uh, your changes and creating the deficit throughout prep. So you don't have that, that artificial stall. Um, I think the same could probably be said for, what we were just talking about, like even tracking steps and cardio. Mm. Um, how do you have ways that to, that people are messing up on tracking these variables and you probably want to bring up look like why we even have steps and a neat in the first place and the artificial stall from not even tracking it. Right. Yeah. That's kind of where I talked about, like you have the people who, only drive up cardio and don't use steps or even track yeah. steps. And then you see this stall, right? It's like you have someone who they might be in what's called like a high energy flux when they're on the all season because they have a lot of food to support that. So they kind of fidget a lot. They walk around the house quite a bit. They walk more in the grocery store, whatever it may be. And their step counts could be like 10, 11, 12,000 easy. But if you're not tracking that, like what does everybody do in contest prep? They get, more sedentary because they're tired and they don't have as much energy to do extra stuff and they feel like they just have the energy to do their cardio and go train and that's it and so you have this athlete who's not tracking steps and the all-season basal activity was like 10 11 12,000 steps a day 
And then just because they're constantly tired with being in a deficit and low body fat, it goes to like seven, 8,000 and you're having trouble losing fat with that athlete because they've just subconsciously reduced their output from a step count perspective. So it's really important to make sure that's tracked. Now, there are cases where as a coach, you're going to get people upon intake that are at the start of a prep and they haven't been tracking their step counts. My typical go-to is to have them just slap one on and just not aim for a goal, just see where they're at, just moving throughout the day before I even assign a step count so that I know what baseline I'm adjusting off of. So it's so important to have. And whether you use that as like a primary activity metric to drive the deficit, or if you run a really tight time schedule and trying to drive that up versus increased cardio is not is 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 not going to fit into your schedule because it's easier to do 10 extra minutes of cardio and get more output relative to doing three x 3000 extra steps. It's still important to make sure you're hitting at least your basal, right? And there is going to be a point in prep where it has to come up, but it's still, it's really important to make sure that athletes consistently moving. Yeah. I think you brought on like when Luke said, slap it on, <laughs> he, he, you're talking about uh, just like a pedometer. Which, yeah. Just a pedometer. Yeah. Which, uh, like I'm super like bougie and fancy now because I have the new Apple Watch. You I did find, start like you did start twenty five dollar Amazon one. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. I, know. <laughs> uh, I, I I I am cheap of the cheap for that kind of stuff. And like you you could get one off like twenty five bucks off Amazon and just track steps. Totally is is feasible and be able to do it like that. Um, sometimes they're maybe a little less accurate. Uh, I know some like. For tracking purposes too, like people ask, like, well, what about cardio? What do you do? Just standardize it um, to where you know what it means when you're tracking. So if you're doing walking treadmill, like, yeah, let like that count into your steps. If you're doing like the elliptical or something, um, maybe you take it take it off, or it, you just know you won't count that into your steps, right? Mm -hmm. um, at the gym, I put mine on uh, like under my shoelaces or into my shoelaces, it's looped on, so I can wear my lifting straps and stuff and just count my steps around the gym that way. So just just some, like, little hacks if you are wearing something like that. And my, my Apple Watch, it goes in my shoe, too. So, Oh, my goodness. Um, uh, around uh, around that, like, man, I, uh, I had some really hard preps in the past from not counting steps. Same. And I, you know, I, I worked in the hospital, right? So we would, like, you know, you get there for the day, you like look over your patients, what you had to do. Then you go up to the floors and you come back down and you could get a lot of steps in the hospital, but like as a prep go on, like, man, I would plan out the most efficient way to see all my patients <laughs> in, in like, in like one swoop. So I could get back and just sit and like preserve myself uh. for training. But those were the preps where I had to do like, man, really high level stairmaster cardio and really low calorie deficits. And it was, it was brutal. Like, what I finally, like, I don't know where it came about. Like, someone started talking about steps in the community and started doing them. Like, it was like, why did I never even think of this? The light bulb moment, right? To where now preps are, like, much much easier. But you're right. Like, you have to be able to have the time to do so. Um, but it's, like, trying to fit it in. Like, just don't, like, get up, move. Like, take take five-minute walks when you're able to. And you can, you can get your steps in. Uh, pretty easily through, throughout the day um, for uh, you know, getting back to like starting it off and kicking it off. I think the other situation that I come into is I do have some people that just don't have a lot of food present, even in the off season. Like they're just that. Yeah. And cardio is the main you know, metric you can progress there. It, it is like it, it's, it happens like it's just uh, someone that just does not have a lot of food. It's a lot of times the smaller um, female muscularity classes like bikini and they're already like sub 2000 calories. And I, I know there's like people like, promoting uh, like oh, all your females will get to 3000. Like, dude, that's not the case. Like <laughs> um, there's truly like, those are the outliers. Like the majority of like, like females are, are sitting like in that, this 2000, like a range, even the off season for some of them. So once you get in a prep, like, man, you make a first pull of food. That's pretty much it. Low, low for, for food. And I think it's, it's more important that we support productive weight training. Cause that's going to be a, for one, a large calorie output, but what's going to keep the size and muscle on them. Um, but they can handle the cardio. Like they're not, 
250 pound bodybuilders, like the cardio volume that they can drive and recover and still have training can still be very productive as long as there's like a reasonable amount of food present. So for those individuals, I'll usually have a a slight diet adjustment, but usually another bigger cardio adjustment too. And um, do you have any thoughts, man, around like pushing cardio higher off the front end versus the back end and, 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 and the fatigue around that, or, um, I could, I could see the rationale. Like, you have more recovery capacity available on the forefront, so you could take the activity metrics a little bit easier versus on the back end, like pushing it up could be more detrimental to the fatigue state, right? Um, I think a lot is kind of what you cited, that dynamic of where's food relative to activity relative to body composition, because these are like the dynamics we're managing there, right? Uh, I think this might bring us into the modality question is – how are you taking that activity bump all the forefront, right? And if they're already doing Stairmaster five times a week when they come to you, it's like, oof, like matching that output with incline treadmill is not going to be the easiest thing to do, right? And so it's more so like where do they come for you? Because you have someone come to you and they're like doing 8,000 steps and no cardio. It's It's a pretty easy take to just hop on the elliptical five times a week for 20 to 25 minutes. And that's probably not going to be detrimental to training. That's a really big bump in the caloric deficit with that activity jump. And it's something that could manage very easily. And honestly, for that athlete, probably potentially improve their ability to train. Like, you know, those people that they start prep and they're like, Oh man, like I'm really getting good pumps and I'm really starting to feel good in the gym. It's, I think it's, that's the question to ask more than, you know, is it make more sense in the beginning? Um, I think there's a lot of cases where it does. I think because of the level of athlete I coach now, I don't run into it as much because typically your higher level athlete has taken the time to push their food up relative to their body composition. And so they, they have more of a vector on the nutrition side. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think in most, most cases like to just, uh, cause I know people do preps with, pretty much there's some individuals out there doing no cardio. That's like the other, the other extreme. Usually that's someone that has like an insane metabolism, mm. extremely high food. Um, and also some that have like really high step counts in general. Like I, I have at least one guy that comes to mind right now that his steps could be like 16, 17,000 uh, steps per day, which um, I mean, that's, you know, roughly like six, seven, no, like seven to eight miles of walking per day. Um, when you're a bigger bodybuilder, that's that's a lot of activity. To put cardio on top of that is could get excessive for that person. So that's kind of the extreme. But I still usually lean towards the middle ground of, of even though having some baseline cardio in for most, um, I know for like bodybuilding, like we want to have training specificity in our programming, right? So we're trying to get on stage with a lot of muscle and low body fat. How do you have take care of the lot of muscle part? Well, you have to have, you're, you're mainly going to be resistance training based. Like that's what everything should look like when you look at a program. It shouldn't be like uh, 14 cardio sessions a week. That looks like an endurance athlete, right? So it should be res- resistance training focused. And then the rest of it is what is the, the easiest way we can create a deficit to lose fat is you don't have to do cardio to lose body fat. You just have to have a deficit. So it's really trying to make the, 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 the least fatiguing, less burdensome way of fat loss. Um, for one, there's a mental side that we'll get into here shortly, but also it's going to take care of the muscle side of that equation of upholding your resistance training performance. But you made you made a good point. Like having the baseline of cardio in, it's usually when a few weeks in a prep, the the work capacity in training improves to where someone's able to handle more quality volume throughout their total session. It's, it's usually like you do a couple sets of squats and like someone's just totally gassed. And the rest of the session just really trails off. But then they have that cardio in place on prep and all of a sudden like those later sets still are like really, really good. Uh, good stimulating quality. It's like, okay, this should tell you something that, that there's a, there's a balance here. Like you need some cardio still present. Mm. Um, e- e- even though you have like a lot of food or a decent amount of steps, 
because there is going to be a little bit of carryover into the resistance training piece. So there's, yeah, there's a balance, a balance within that. Um, and I'll you, go ahead, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. no, I was, I was sort of swinging back to the modality piece. If unless you had something to add, uh, I was going to touch psychological, but we could do modality first. Um, well, hell, the psychological kind of almost goes a little into the, the, the modality piece, right? Um, it does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, let's, uh, let's talk about that. Cause, um, yeah, I just, I have an example in my head, so let's hit it real quick. So psychologically, you're going to get people who prefer a deficit from food and you have some people who are going to prefer a deficit from activity. And then also you're going to have the consideration for psychological preference of modality. So there's a couple things to juggle here. Um, when we look at like prepping athletes, a lot of it is always going to point back to can they manage the performance metric. If you can answer that question, yes, no matter the change, then it, sometimes it's going to come down to psychologically what that person may prefer. Uh, I, I have a specific client in mind who she, when she starts prep, will just do cardio because she likes to do cardio. And it's like, if I just don't go ahead and put that in the plan, like she's just probably going to do it anyways. And so... A knowing what's going on and giving that athlete the cardiovascular activity that they enjoy because it sets up their day and they move really well with it and it doesn't take away from their training at that point. It's allowing that person to enjoy the process in the way that they enjoy the process. And this specific athlete is a little bit more food focused rather than detrimented from the activity side of the metric. Like everyone gets to the point where both suck. Like it's just contest prep, but for this athlete in particular, like I'll actually be a little bit more aggressive on the activity for some of the initial changes because it gets her to a place where she really enjoys that activity metric. And it's it ends up getting her to that like 40 to 45 minute mark where she kind of thrives. And I could probably run almost the entire prep on that level of activity um, as long as she's handling the food side okay. And that's kind of where the psychological preference side can help some of your decision-making as a coach where as long as performance isn't being detrimented, sometimes you got to coach the athlete where they thrive and allow them to thrive in that environment the way that they need to. Now, if it's taking away from their training, that's obviously not the decision that you make, right? You have to have that conversation with the athlete, but I do think psychological consideration is a big part of, of this decision-making process around activity. Oh man, you brought up some fun points here. Um, <laughs> uh, for for one, like within the coaching process, right? What Luke is doing is building autonomy with his clients, and uh, there's like this really nerdy thing called the social behavioral theory of motivation. And to build motivation in someone, there's some components around this that you try to instill in your coaching, and yeah, one of one of them is autonomy. Um, so the the client has some guidance in feeling like they know the direction of their goal and making choices along the way and also building competency in your, in your athlete of, of understanding the process. And when they have those things, it makes more enjoyment of the process. And if you enjoy the process, at least a long-term success. And that's how you get people to really, really escalate long-term in this. So having those questions with your athlete, like don't just assume um, a coach, like you look at the numbers and you make a change without, asking some feedback um, that gives the athlete the autonomy of like, Hey, I'm, I'm part of this process and coaching and guiding my, my journey. And also it's going to make their um, whether they're deficit or their cardio output um, less burdensome on prep. Yes, it will get hard, but at the same time, like it, we don't have to chase suffering either. So a, a lot of times, yeah, I'm, I'm asking that question like, Hey, how hungry are you on this plan? Where are you the hungriest? or the least hungry, how is cardio? Which would you rather have? And some of those questions can add a spur on of like making the decision process a lot, lot easier because both can work to an extent, right? Um, without, as long as we're not really suffering the performance metrics, like, like you mentioned, but I'll have someone that like, I look at this, the, the food, I'm like, man, I wouldn't want to eat that. But I'm like, they're like, no, reduce food. Like, I'm not that hungry. Like, I can handle that. Please no more cardio. <laughs> like, okay, well, I'll just, re <laughs> I'll, I'll reduce food. Um, that, that's, that's great. Or it's the, the cardio side. Like, that's yeah. me. Like, I, I rather, I rather eat, just eat less food and not do as much cardio because it cardio kind of beats me up and that affects training. But I'm the same. If you, if you saw my cardio amount, you'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, just, 
just make John work harder. I'm like, and then I had run into like, you know, connected tissue problems and getting injured and stuff. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's let like have some like client goad guided, uh, coaching that that would be perfectly acceptable to have. And Mm. then it caters well, right. Into the psychology, psychology of that person of what, where they're willing to push themselves. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's really important in fostering an athlete to their highest level of performance. Now there's going to be times where you as a coach have to make the decision that doesn't always align with that because you know, it's the best decision for the outcome, but there, there are, especially in the early parts of prep, like where you can kind of have that flexibility and that, and I think it's important to have. And I think that starts to bring us to the modality question of like, you can include the psychological preference of modality in this is like, what modality is best? What's worse? What, how are we making that decision of what are we doing cardio on? And I, I think walking through that logic and thought process is, is integral to activity increases. Yeah, we, we've mentioned how you should be tracking like calorie intakes, your step count. Um, part of, like for me, part of the tracking of cardio output effort almost leads to the modality slightly. Mm. And like, what I mean by that is, is like, how are you actually going to track this athlete's effort? Cause I had, I had one client situation where we were like seven weeks out and it was, it was a, a pro show and like the fat loss was just like, man, it was, it was low. I'm like looking at food. I'm like, geez, food's low. Cardio is like pretty up there. I was like, I'm kind of out of, I'm almost out of tools here. Like, what do I do? And then I was like, Hey, what is your heart rate at on uh, the cardio, because she was doing the Stairmaster, like a level nine. I was like, man, like, this is cooking. Um, then she took her heart rate, and man, it was like low hundreds. I was like, whoa, like completely surprised by it. So me prescribing like, hey, yeah, level nine on the Stairmaster, like this should be doing it. You can't assume that of, of how someone how adaptive someone is and, and just what they can handle work capacity wise. So you need a good way to track effort. And the, the, the best way is probably still heart rate um, mm. for the ability to do it. Cause for one, I think it's more accessible. Like, like we have like, you have Fitbits or whoops or, you know, Apple watches. Um, some of the machines can be relatively okay, but I would still say like, get a really good, that's why I got the Apple watch. Cause it's actually, pretty damn close to actually wearing a chest strap. I was going to say, if you um, want to be a nerd, get your chest strap. That's the ch- chest strap would be the best. That's how I started earlier on doing a lot of preps with, with a chest strap. It's just kind of a, kind of a hassle, but with technology now, like there's some really good like wrist trackers to get, mm-hmm. to get you there, you know, get you an idea. But, um, so that, so going back to like, what's, what about the modality? So the heart rate, the effort level, it kind of dictated. Cause at some point, like for me, when I'm at, I'm doing cardio right now, uh, an 8% incline in three miles per hour, which I'm 260. Like this is already like for 20 minutes, like pushing that up more, kind of start to beat me up um, to go higher in heart rate or maintain it. I I probably will have to switch the modality out. Um, That might mean like starting on the stairs or an elliptical. um, And then, then I can move like the last bit. Once I get heart rate up to back to the the treadmill and I'll, I'll do that at least for myself. But for like some of these small females, it's like it's going to have to be like the elliptical or something where it's, they're able to get the whole body into it to put out the the calorie expenditure. Um, other, otherwise, it's just going to be too low expenditure for the time duration. Yeah, I think I'm going to take your pride rice crispy treats before you change modality. I'm going to come down there and take your little bucket so that we can <laughs> make a food deficit before you push the activity. But no. Um, <laughs> I think I think context to what it takes for that athlete to do that that activity is important because and the reason I lean towards heart rate as well as our most accurate is it adjusts to the adaptive nature of of prep in that across that prep that same cardiovascular activity that you started with is not going to get the same heart rate elevation as it is late in prep so you're able to track that heart rate there with the understanding of how adaptive that person is being and be proactive in making those changes in modality. I will say I do always lean to the most or the least impactful from like a impact perspective as possible to maintain that heart rate. So 
whether that's steps and then from there potentially elliptical and then from there potentially you could make the argument bike and then stairmaster there's a couple components within that that you'd probably want to discuss but um that's kind of how i go about it and just making sure no matter what the change i'm making i'm watching that heart rate elevation happen because i actually have in my tracker like average beats per minute for cardiovascular activity as a part of the tracking process um, because I need to see that heart rate elevation going up. So um, that's going to be the main consideration. The hard one is when you get the bodybuilder who's 250 and is an adaptive response to cardiovascular activity because then it's like putting a 240-pound or 250-pound athlete on a Stairmaster to get the heart rate up. It's like, ah, it's so impactful to the performance metrics on the back end. Yeah, that's, I mean, at least that's, like, how I'll do it. Like, I start there. Once, usually what I find, like, once I get up there, like, I can almost lower my intensity, and it'll maintain the heart rate. So I, I can move to a, um, a less impactful, like, cardio modality mm. that way. Um, but I have found some people where I, I see the, the level up there, and they're like, hey, this is starting to get pretty challenging. It's like even with heart rate coming down, I just maintain it. It's like, hey, don't don't raise your your effort level on cardio more. Let's keep not effort level, but the uh, the speed or, or the level. Let's maintain that, and then we find ways to increase time or frequency for cardio. Uh, that that way, it's just a better way to manage fatigue. Yep. So, I agree. and I, I think the yeah. frequency one's important because the quality of the cardio in like small stints sometimes can be a little bit better when it's getting into these longer sessions. Like you get an athlete up at 70 minutes. It's like, man, you knock out 30 to 40 minutes in the morning and then 30 minutes later, or however you split that up. It's like, that's such a better 60 minutes because you're not giving it in one go. Well, and it goes back. Remember I was talking about, Hey, we're, we're primarily like resistance training, performance based, create the easiest deficit. You don't have to do cardio. You also don't have to do your cardio in one stint, right? Like what is the purpose of this cardio session? It's just have a certain calorie burn for a time duration. It's not like we need to get into this fat burning range, like X amount of time or deplete so much glycogen over X amount of time. Uh, so you could split that cardio up however you need to throughout the day to make it the, the least impactful to your gym performance. And it's going to work out the same because big picture it, it relatively still comes down to just making the calorie deficit. Um, but the timing absolutely matters too. I think you improve the quality too. Cause like 60 minutes in one go versus 30 and 30 can be done at typically a little bit of a better clip without like trailing off or anything. So I, I do see the quality improve as well there. You see, you see people making their cardio easier. Like yeah, draping themselves. Yeah, yeah, just draped over the Stairmaster or, <laughs> or like, yeah, bro, I'm on incline treadmill, like level 12, but they're like hanging on like <laughs> like they're, they're skiing on the machine or something, right? So it's like you're actually not at incline when you're like leaning back that way. It's it's not the same. They're like, why don't you let go? It's like, oh, yeah, way harder, man. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> um, oh, goodness. Um, I think that covers quite a few as we kind of go through. We haven't covered oh. hit, hit yet, though. We should probably yeah, that, cover. Yeah, yeah, we should should hit hit that point. Um, I won't use a lot of hit no. with, with clients. Um, the instances where it does come in is if I have that person, like usually it's like the bikini athlete, where they have already a pretty good amount of baseline cardio, and I also don't have a lot of time for them to use steps that I just need a lot of calorie expenditure within a shorter time session. I might have one or two hit sessions a week, and <clears throat> not all out sprints. It's more like just intervals, just mm-hmm. uh, like maybe maybe 80, 90% effort level in a minute, then back down for a minute. And then after that might be a little bit of steady state, but but and for that like bikini or wellness athlete like they're already training legs so much the hit is is it can be very taxing so to go beyond that is i really find it too much like recovery wise um and and that's almost the only application where i've been using 
using hit unless I had someone in the off season that's been doing some type of hit, but it, I'll still like keep it down usually to one session per week. Even if I had someone in the off season doing hit, it's typically for blood pressure metrics. And as they lose weight, the capacity to manage that is improved. So I'll actually transition that into studies. Yeah. I'll pull it and transition it into steady state. Um, just because the performance is so important for me. Um, yeah. The, the tail end, it, it really d- doesn't need to be there as mm-mm. you should be able to slow down the depths and fat loss rate at the end, hopefully. Yeah. I think, I think this is a point I wanted to make though within this is like a lot of the conversation we're having is optimizing the efficiency of the cardiovascular activity, obviously with the goal in mind being like getting someone in true contest shape with the least amount of cardio that we can do. That being said, at the end of the day, there's going to be preps and people that need really high activity metrics to get there. And it is not uncommon or a freak incident to see some of these athletes up at like a hundred minutes of cardio a day or 90 minutes. minutes Easy. Two two hours of cardio. Like I've done it. I've done it myself. So I know. Same. Yeah. I have uh, to. Doesn't make you a bad coach or you're causing some type of damage or you're at your, you know, your coach is doing something wrong to you. It, it, it can be just part of the game on the tail end. Now it starts like I'm 20 weeks out doing two hours of cardio. Like this might be an issue, mm. but at some point, like some people are going to get there. Um, and it's, it's not unheard of. It's the bodybuilding extremes. We have to reach. It can take extreme approaches. Uh, so yeah, it's not uncommon. I think where I find it is the person that knows they're going into prep at a suboptimal state because it gets brought up like, and then they're resistant to cardio getting that high. It's like, you can't have your cake and you eat it too, right? Like if you know, going into prep, your calories are a little bit lower than where they should be, or body composition is not quite as good as where it should be because you're just hiring that coach right before prep or something. It's like you need to accept that if you if this is truly what you want, it's probably going to take more to get there. And this is such an important conversation because this is what makes preps more predictable in like tracking activity metrics and doing ones that are more efficient and getting people there with less fatigue and managing that fatigue and keeping performance high. But there's something between the ears that has to click to understand that if it comes down to it, you just got to get it done. Yeah, definitely. Um, maybe we should pull this back to some like practical takeaways for mm, absolutely for, for, for a kick for like kicking off the front end of your fat loss phase. Yeah, and potentially uh, progressions like just some some easy progressions as you go through the prep too. So, with that being said, and I can give my own example too uh, of like what I what I plan to do is. Like Luke and I laid out kind of the three components, right? Like steps, cardio, and calories. So we should have a baseline that we're kind of looking for. And again, there's going to be the wiggle room of the extremes, but you have someone usually eight to not eight to ten thousand steps per day, some type of baseline cardio present, maybe three to four sessions, twenty minutes. Then whatever their calorie level is that's currently maintaining their body. This is the start of our prep. Um, now, if you have someone with a step count that's low. You could probably bring up that variable. If you have someone doing no cardio, you could probably bring up that variable. And then whatever you need else-wise, calorie-wise, to fill that in. Now, if you've already been a great bodybuilder and you're doing the steps and your cardio like you should be, uh, I I would first just pull food. Um, And usually start with 30 to 35% of a deficit um, to start to really push someone out the gate. What that rate of fat loss is, how much that, that moves them, aiming for 1.5% body weight for the week, then adjust it from there. For some people, that's slow. Man, that's just the rate we might need a little bit longer of a, a prep. For, if it's faster, then you can adjust accordingly. But that's the at least initial pull. And I usually won't go larger than that um, from, from a deficit point of view, unless it's like a male and we're doing something real aggressive, like um, a, a, a mini-cut fat loss. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about extended fat loss phase and for females as well any larger than that i usually see much faster hormonal disruption and harder time managing fatigue for that athlete um so that's kind of like the the initial of how to move someone 
off the front end of the prep. So if you're doing things right, it's food-based. If you haven't done the steps and the cardio, then you might bring those up and not have to take as much away from food. But do the math on it, right? So if you're eating 4,000 calories a day, a 30% deficit, how many calories you need to fill in with step count, you know, what does you burn for an extra 2,000 steps a day? What do you burn for another 10 minutes of cal- uh, cardio that the rest can fill in uh, with, with calorie-wise? I agree. Anything else around that, Luke, that you would that you would bring up? No, I think, I think you kind of nailed it because that covers most of all the situations that you could potentially run into. Um, I think the, the next question is like, how does that progress over prep? And that's where a lot of people start to make some bad decisions is like going into it too fast or not progressing it fast enough. And I don't know how, how you do this, but most of the time I try to make my changes one at a time. So food only or cardio only, unless I have someone falling behind the rate of loss for the prep that I need to get them there. Cause that's when I'll be a little bit more aggressive and take dual food and cardiovascular uh, adjustments and use that heart rate that you're tracking to help you make the decisions, right? Like if the modality you're using isn't getting your heart rate up, well, maybe it's time to increase the pace at which you do it or the modality in which you're doing it to make it a little bit harder. As long as it's not taking away from your performance, that's that's going to be what's going to allow for the goal to happen, which at the end of the day is being shredded on stage and making the fat loss happen, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I a, a point you brought up about the rate too is usually that first week, once you make the change, don't freak out. You're probably going to have a big drop. Um, and it might exceed that 1.5% just because – uh, you have like the GI weight drop of, of just less food. Usually glycogen pulls down some. There'll be some like water that's going to drop off, whether natural or enhanced. But then usually I see it steady that second week. Um, and then it might correlate long with that like one and a half percent body weight change from there. So just, just the initial don't don't freak out about it. Yeah. Um, Maybe the other caveat around that is too, if you're like an enhanced bodybuilder and also PEDs you know, come in, P- PEDs are escalating at the same time as the deficits created. You might not see quite as much change, but visually you'll see a lot of change. That does get a little bit more more complicated. We could we could probably do a whole other episode around just around that. Yeah, you know, sure. Prep prep and PEDs, but um, but it, but in general, I think conceptually the framework's there for everyone to get some idea of how that should work off off the front end. And if you have specific questions, just drop it in the comments. Like it's it's going on YouTube and we'll be on there answering answering questions and able to get everything for you guys. Yeah, leave them below. If we said something today that you want to say, hey, John Luke, do a whole episode just on whatever. Let us know. We'll try to tackle it for you. So, but, uh, Anyway, that's it, guys. We'll let you go. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next time.